0: The views and opinions expressed by Rob Black and his guests are not necessarily those of KDOW or its management owners or advertisers and should not be construed as legal tax or investment advice. Always consult with the appropriate advisor before making any investment or financial planning decision.
1: Welcome in. Rob Black and your money. I'm Rob Black talking all things financial money, investing and more. Thanks for listening to the show. It's been an interesting week with a lot of volatility. I don't know if we're going to remember much of the volatility in 5, 10, 15, 20 years from now, unless it was the week that led to the week that became the month of the major correction or something along those lines. August and September tend to be the weaker months on the calendar year. Nothing really to get upset about, nothing to get stressed about. Um, we've had a good year and corrections are normal and healthy, but the volatility did pick up, but I know it feels a bit like a roller coaster. Let's bring on John Dulles. He's with Uh, He's going to be speaking at the Money Show, kdow.biz. If you want to learn more about the Money Show, it's coming up right around the corner. He's the editor of Forbes Dividend Investor. John, did I get your name close? John Dobus. You got it
2: right. Exactly, Rob. Good to be on. Good to be back in black. It's good to have you, and
1: it is good to be back in black, so to speak. Um, We've talked before at events like these. You probably don't remember me, but that's okay. Um, Tell everyone what you do, because I dig what you do, and I actually requested you to be a speaker on my show.
2: I'm glad that you do dig it. Um, My name is John Dobis. I'm uh, I'm a senior editor at Forbes, and I write stuff for the magazine and online, but my main focus are two newsletters, Forbes Dividend Investor, as you mentioned, that's a I put it out every Friday, and I uh, have a portfolio of dividend stocks. Um, The criteria that I consider, I'm looking for cheap stocks that can afford to keep on paying dividends, essentially. So I'm looking at things that trade less dearly than they have on average for the past five years on five metrics, price-to-earnings, price-to-sales, price-to-book value, price-to-cash flow, and enterprise value to EBITDA, which... Enterprise value, as a lot of your listeners know, is just the market cap plus the debt of a company. It's kind of a good look at how it's kind of a proxy for earnings. But earnings earnings are kind of manipulable. Uh, some of those other things are not. So I look at all five. I look at dividend growth. Because over time, if, you, if you're going to hold a dividend stock, you're going to want to have something that increases the payout at least by the rate of annual inflation to keep you whole in purchasing power terms. So uh, that's the Forbes Dividend Investor. And the yields there, I'm looking for stuff that yields a little bit more than the S and P 500 index, which is if you buy the S and P, you're going to get a dividend yield right now of about 1.95 percent. My average is about four and a half, four point six after last week. Um, And then the other newsletter that I do kind of builds on that. It's called the Forbes Premium Income Report. Premium is a double entendre. Premium meaning very good and superior, of course, but. Premium also meaning the what the the money that you receive for selling options. So in that newsletter, every Tuesday and Thursday, including today, I'll be doing one the after, this afternoon. I, I put out two recommendations for dividend stocks that you can get into by either doing a buy right. And a buy right is when you buy a stock and simultaneously write or sell call options against it. Let's say there's a stock trading at forty two dollars that you already want to buy, so you would buy the stock at forty two. And maybe you would sell a $43 call option that expires in a month and a half or two months, and you might get a $1.50 for it. So you wouldn't be paying $42 for the stock. You'd be paying 42 minus a $1.50, $40.50. A put option, uh, after this past week, I'm sure a lot of people know about puts in terms of what they can do for portfolio insurance if you own them. But we're on the other side of that transaction, and we sell the puts. So going back to that $42 stock, we could say, I really like that stock at $42, but I would rather buy it at a lower price. So what you could do is go out a month and a half, two months, and buy a put option that is lower, that has a strike price lower than the current market price. Maybe you could sell the $41 puts, which literally puts you on the hook to buy that stock at 41 up until expiration, but you're going to collect a dollar or a dollar fifty for it. So you wouldn't be paying forty one. You'd be paying forty one minus whatever premium you got. If it's a dollar, you would be paying only forty dollars. So those two uh, strategies kind of work in tandem. First off is just a straight up portfolio of dividend paying stocks. And then with the premium income report, we look at those stocks and others um, that pay dividends and attractive options selling opportunities. So that's what I'm doing at Forbes. Uh, I'm going to be talking about that at the Money Show. Uh, yeah. It's going on next week, Tuesday through Saturday at the Union Square Hilton.
1: Yeah, it's August 15th through the 17th of the Money Show in San Francisco. It's the Hilton. People can go to kdow.biz to sign up. They have to sign up in order to get in. But once you're in, it's free. Are you giving a speech on any day that people may want to target? Because, again, you're right up my alley as far as dividend investing in a market.
2: Well, um- Glad to hear that. No, we uh I'm I'm doing something on uh, each of those days. One really uh informative panel that could be good, not just for you know stock picks, but to help inform a uh a world view is a panel. We're doing a panel of okay. Forbes newsletter editors. We we uh I don't know if you've ever heard of Gary Schilling. Gary Gary oh, yeah, was an of economist course. for many years. He called the housing crash. He's, uh, he's been right on target with the stock market and what it would do with in response to QE. So we've got Gary Schilling, George Gilder. Uh, Gilder is a name for anybody who's been a tech investor over the past couple or three decades. Uh, George is just a fountain of information. So we've got George Gilder, Gary Schilling, Janet Brown, based in San Francisco with her company, No Load Fundex. And Janet is uh, a true guru in terms of uh Market momentum. She, her, her uh, switching philosophy in ETFs and mutual funds is based on what's working now, and uh, and then also we have Brad Thomas. Brad is the editor of the Forbes REIT Inve- Forbes Real Estate Investor, and Brad has a portfolio of dividend paying REIT stocks that he maintains. So those four people and I will be uh, at four at five o'clock p.m. on Thursday, which is the opening day. And then I've got a couple of presentations the next day talking about the strategies of using option selling on dividend-paying stocks on uh, Friday uh, and Saturday.
1: Perfect. Thanks for joining us. I think uh, we're almost out of time, so I've got to push away from you. I'd like to talk to you more. Thanks for joining us. It's Forbes Dividend Investor John DeBoose. Uh, talks about stocks issuing new rankings. He, dividends are important to me, because in a good economy, you get dividends. In a bad economy, you get dividends. He's looking for that consistency, which I think is a super important thing. To go to the event, you can go to kdow.biz and sign up for The Money Show. It's next week. I'm going to be speaking on Friday. He's going to be speaking in a panel. If you go to kdow.biz and click on The Money Show, you'll see a schedule. You'll see the special events. You'll see the exhibit hall. You'll see everything plus there. It's kind of like Comic-Con for financial nerds. Um, I don't think anyone will be dressing up as CNBC host or anything like that. So you don't have to worry about that, but it could happen. Anyhow, anyway, that was John DeBose, um, with the money show. He's with Forbes. I really respect what they do. Long story short. Um, Thumbs up from me. 800-516-1220 to get your calls on the air. It's 800-516-1220 to get your calls on the air. Wall Street opened higher following yesterday's comeback. S&P 500 is back above 2,900. We introduced volatility. Volatility rarely goes away without a fight. I'm not saying we're going to have a down week next week. I'm not that guy. What I am saying is it's going to be interesting because that volatility spike typically leads to something short-term on the downside followed by long-term on the slightly upside. Um, It shakes some some weaker hands out of investing. I'm Rob Black, talking all things financial money, investing, and more. Find me online at Rob Black Show, Twitter Rob Black Show, YouTube Rob Black Show. Want the podcast with music? Find the link to the other version of the podcast by going to Rob Black's Twitter. His handle is at Rob Black Show. Listen to Rob Black and Your Money weekday mornings, 7 to 9 on AM 1220, KDOW. Waiting for you to You and I both spent, and no, that. no, you and I spent our whole life, our whole life, like, I want to own a home. I want to be like my mom and dad. But now, uh, the kids beneath us are like, I don't need to own a home. I can go from apartment to apartment. Um, for example, I had a friend who lived in the Bay Area. Um, she was friends with Joe Cannon from the MLS uh, San Jose earthquakes goalie, I think maybe. keeper, uh, keeper of the year twice for them. MLS. good friend of mine, nice guy, good family, good Bay Area family, long term Bay Area family. But he had a friend who was a female who she lived in San Francisco. And the next thing you know, she's living with five people in San Francisco. The next thing you know, she's living with a couple of people in Palo Alto. Now she's living out in Breckenridge. Next, like she likes that mobility. You think that's kind of like the mobility of people not having cars. They also don't have. They also use Uber Eats because they don't have a car to go to dinner. So they, they get meal services brought into them that
3: a lot of specialized, like it's not what you and I grew up with. Well, it's, it's, I don't want to say it's uh well, it is a trend that I will say that. And it is not just tied towards millennials, although they are leading their, you know, the pack uh, when that's concerned, you know, they like oh. the mobility. They, they like the, um, the amenities that are around places that are, are quite honestly too expensive for them to buy. So And it's convenient to jobs. It's convenient to all those other, um, you know, restaurants and bars and clubs and um, theaters that they all like to go to. Um, And we see a lot of the urban environments right now. I can give you an example. I just took a a vacation,
1: came back and my sprinkler had an issue. So for seven days, it was flooding my yard, right? You have a landlord, you call your your, your landlord. It's his problem, not your problem. And I think that's modern convenience. But it goes into car sharing. It goes into food sharing. It goes, not food sharing, but... You and I at one point in time, like, hey, let's go to Safeway tonight and get groceries for the week. Um, that's kind
3: of fading a little bit. Let's let's have Safeway bring it to
1: us. So be, it's a trend of we don't have to
3: own a house. I'll be interesting it'll be interesting to see how long this trend goes because what we're seeing are are a lot of people moving across the United States to places that are what considered affordable. So you might see it kind of slowly trickle away from like the Bay Area to places like the Austins and maybe even parts of Utah and Denver and so on where there is affordable housing and, and, you know, right now they may need that mobility. So we're going to see millennials, we, we see more millennials living at home. Nowadays, um, in fact, the highest percentage we've ever seen, I think it's like 35 or 60 something percent of like males between a certain age are living at home. And and we're going to see this kind of trend of looking for affordable housing. And then eventually it'll figure itself out. And places like uh, companies will move to a place like Austin. And and will it be the chicken or the egg? Putting down roots reasons to buy a home. If I'm a millennial right now and I'm not. I'd be like, I want to see every major
1: city in the United States, because I hear once you have a job, you're going to work 30 years in it, and you're never going to leave, and it's going to be miserable. Hey, I, I wouldn't buy a house. Maybe I'd buy an investment house or a rental house that I can say I own, like I did with North Carolina Raleigh. Raleigh. Um, I knew I was going to move. I knew I was going to live there. Its sole purpose was to be, a, I'm not putting down roots. It was just extra income that I could throw,
3: extra equity I could throw over there. Putting down roots, pretty good reason to own a house. Yeah, we're actually at that exact scenario is what we're seeing more often is, is people that they know they're going to be moving or they know that they are never going to afford or they just can't really get that commitment. And they have some money and they're looking at, other, you know, they've maxed out their 401k. They're looking for other write-offs. They are doing that. They're buying investment property, and but they can stay mobile. You have a child, and one of the things you want to do is find your perfect
1: community before he gets too old so that he can grow up with roots and a community. I get it. Mm-hmm. I think millennials will have the same thing. I don't think that millennials should own a home at this point in time. As real estate prices have gone up, interest has gone up, they should save money for a home. They should maybe consider investment property kind of as, hey, I got real estate going, but I'm renting. But then again, another reason to own a home is you get tired of giving equity your cash flow to a landlord. And
3: sometimes they don't upgrade the property, and that's a frustration. Um, It's nice when it's their problem. Yeah, right. it's I've actually I recently talked to somebody who lives in San Diego and they said, "You know, it's the rents are going up so high right now, it actually makes more sense to buy." And then that, that's when you're a renter and you go, why am I giving away money to my landlord when I could buy and, and give myself the money? Um, but that makes like, people crazy I mean, it, drives, it. it drives them crazy, and that's actually a stat you can go to like Zillow and, or Redfin and you can look at all of these stats. Where does it make more sense to buy than it does to uh, to rent and you know and then you can do the buy versus rent calculator I can tell you you need to keep this house for so many years before it breaks even you know and, and it makes see, sense. I don't see renting as throwing away money you? It can be. It can be. That's right. It can be if you're not able to save money, if the rents are too high and you're not saving any money for a possible house, for example. No one would ever call money that you spend on food a waste. Like, you have to have energy. You have to have a place to live.
1: I, I actually own a home, so but I don't see renting as – it's when it's an enormous paycheck, I get it. Um, but when I was renting, I was much more willing to sacrifice and live in smaller places, dirtier places, with more roommates, per se – When I'm owning, I get that luxury of not to. Um, So I think the three reasons to own a home right now, in my mind, is putting down roots for a family and community. There's something to be said about community, but also there's something to be said to go on a lot of vacations and not having to own a house. Um, Building equity, I think, is a great thing. Um, You know, I showed someone in the Acorns app yesterday, and they were wowed. In two months, I've saved $600 by basically just rounding up my purchases. I've built equity by rounding up. You can build equity by paying yourself rent. I get it. And I think the ability to do what you want with your space. Yeah, You've got, you know, if you have a landlord, you may have like mangy carpets and you don't want your kid on a mangy carpet. You don't want your wife on a mangy carpet on a cage. You want to <laughs> make out with your wife while watching Love Boat on the carpet. And then you smell the carpet. You're
3: like, oh, the moment's gone. <laughs> so you get rug burn from getting back up. And, and, or you can just say, oh, we're going to replace this carpet. Right. And you don't want to do it when it's rental. Yeah.
1: So those are the reasons to own. I don't think you have to own. There's not going to be St. Peter's not going to say to you one day. Let's check your list on getting into heaven.
3: Did you ever kill a kid and hide him on a train track? No. Good. Good. Millennials have actually made it pretty cool to be renters. Um, and, yeah. And That's a well said. They, they have. And they've made that a trend. They've made it pretty hip. And then they have those little scooters. <laughs> and they drive around town going, like, Oh, the scooters. bus.
1: Ciao. I'm hip. Ciao. I rent. Ciao. I've got a scarf on and it's warm outside. Ciao. Anyhow, it's cool to rent. It's okay. There's no. You're not going to be judged by in heaven if you own a property or not. You can find Tony at Source.com. That's Source.com. You can find me at robblackshow.com and on YouTube, Rob Black Show, if you want to see what my greasy face looks like.
0: Catch Rob Black and Rob Black and Your Money live on the Bay Area
1: Airwaves, weekday mornings from 7 to 9 on AM 1220 KDOW and streaming live on the KDOW radio app or kdow.biz. Good morning. Welcome in. Welcome along for the ride, I suppose. Update today. To Yesterday we were down, then we we're kind of fought back. Fight your way back. I don't know if you remember that horrible, awful song, but for some reason, I certainly do. Um, gosh, where do we even start today? So we're at the very, very tail end of earnings season at this point in time. There's gonna be a big gap between now. And next earnings season, it's going to be 90 days. But it's going to be 90 days with a lot of conjecture about China. And I feel like we're getting toyed with. Do you agree? Um, what I say with by getting toyed with, it feels like some days the president sends out advisors say, well, we're, we're having constructive talks. And the other days, it's like, but we're far away apart. So I kind of get that. There's a little bit of a cautious optimism. Don't you like it when words mix together and... Uh, they're not exactly, how shall we, it's like kissing your sister. It's, it's not exactly the best thing in the world, if you know what I'm saying. Although, then again, some sisters are pretty cute. Dun, dun, shh. Oh, I just died on the vine on that one. So big spike in volatility this week. Maybe that's what we're going to remember this week as. Um, probably the biggest flare-up in, I'm not going to say the last 10 years, but one of them an increasing number of signs suggest the dynamics driving the latest turbulence could be the start of a deeper correction. We're not done going down, or if we are, that that wasn't going down. It's like that old Australian thing. You brought a knife and the guy shows his knife and goes, that's not a knife. Um This is a situation where retirement savers are going to be stressed because I just said, I don't think we're done going down. And they're like, but I'm a year away from retirement or I'm two years away from retirement. Well, that's the case. And you're going to want to come to the retirement event at the money show that Chad and I are doing a couple Fridays from today. Learn more at newfocusfinancial.com or kdow.biz under the money show. You do have to sign up to go. Um, global stocks sold off on Monday after Beijing devalued the, the yuan, and that was kind of a, a latest salvo. I hate using military terms for financial issues, but it is what it is. So you get President Donald Trump's latest tariff. You get the Beijing devaluing the yuan. Um, broader stock market rebounded a lot on Tuesday after a rough Monday. China tried to stabilize the yuan, then ended relatively flat. And that's that's good and bad. If the one was really going lower on market forces, then trying to stabilize it is artificial, and it's the little boy who put his thumb in the dam who turns out to be you know supergluing it, only to find out that super glue doesn't last forever. So we don't really want currency manipulators either on the positive or the negative side. The reminder right now is that stocks can be volatile. I'm not saying we're in for a correction. I'm not saying, oh no, it's all over. I'm just saying that they can be uh, volatile. you got to keep some peace of mind. So one thing that I don't do is move a lot of investments into gold. I get it. If you're at an all-time high and you think we're due for a 30% correction, I get putting some of your money in in safe havens. I get it if you can predict and see a nuclear bomb landing in Washington, D.C. I get it. I get the idea why you would want gold. But it's not for me. It plays into fear too much, and maybe i'm that's the pride before the fall, but it plays into fear too much. Most investors need to keep some money in stocks to meet their income needs in retirement, so you can't sell everything and you know having a buffer of three years of income in cash and bonds to provide peace of mind during a market turmoil should make you feel a little bit better. Maybe you need more than that to feel even better better. The cash balance is intact um it's kind of a strategy that you should have. So I don't have enough cash in my portfolio. If we went down 30%, 40 50%, I'd kick myself in the hiney, if you know what I'm saying. <laughs> yeah, that, that, that's about what it sounds like. I've got one of those rubbery hineys. So, and if you're freaked out by market volatility, for goodness sake, seek professional help. Um, CFP, Chad, Financial NewFocusFinancial.com. Lyft is up today. They beat top and bottom line expectations. And they seem to be doing, Oh, well, we don't know. We're going to learn more about Uber today. But it seems to be, how shall we say, oh, good gosh, it's it's a good thing going on domestically. Monster Beverage came up short of expectations. Are we past the Monster Beverage craze where you'd go to a bar and you'd get like a you know, a, a monster drink on top of vodka? And you're like, woo, I'm going to stay up all night long. Are we past that? It feels 15 years ago, but I'm not sure. I'm not a Monster Beverage drinker. And I always think at some point in time they, they should be acquired by a bigger company like a Pepsi or Coca-Cola. Kraft Heinz announced it will briefly delay its 10Q filing for the second quarter. That's not good. First half results came up short of revenue expectations. When you cut, when you delay a public filing, eh, I'm not going to say it's bad. I'm going to say it, it's it's something is not hitting smoothly. U.S. Treasuries have cooled off a bit. The two year yield is up two basis points to one six zero. The ten years up six basis points to one seven four. Dollar index, and again, so there was those two days where it was at one six, one six five, one six one six five, and now it's back to one seven four. So if you were expected falling mortgage rates or even lower mortgage rates, maybe that is behind us at this point in time. Consultant broker for advisor for data action on any stock's ever mentioned on this show. With that be- That's right. Um, Dow opens higher as bond yields rebounded. Maybe cooler heads prevailed. Craft shares tumble after delaying that 10Q. I guess the takeaway of this segment is delaying your 10Q is not seen as a positive. Broadcom is close to buying Symantec's enterprise business, which I don't understand. It's Sometimes they see mergers or acquisitions in this case, and it just makes me scratch, uh, scratch my head a bit. Roku is a runaway train, runaway train never coming back. One array train on a one way twack. So I heard the lead singer of that band. Um, I don't even know who they are, but I heard he got beat up at a concert. <laughs> I just find that funny. I was like, "That's not what you're expected going to work today." I'm gonna go sing songs and get beat up. Roku reported second quarter results that surpassed analyst expectations. They have reached 30.5 million active users. Their numbers are impressive. Um, While waiting for the Apple TV to mature, I went with Roku as my streaming device, and I like it. Uh, It's not perfect. I'd rather have it built into the TV. the Roku Guide is kind of their secret sauce, where they get a lot of companies to develop apps for them, and then they can kind of sell apps and push movies from Google or push Google Store. Or they've got some little options, and they're doing really well per user. Got 30.5 million active users, up 1.4 million uh, versus the prior periods. So more and more people are—it's—it's it's playing the cutting the cord trend. This is what's impressive to me. Average revenue per user, ARPU, is $21.06. That's up $2 from the first quarter. The ARPU, I know you're saying, is that a dirty word? A-R-P-U. Get your mind out of the gutter, people. Average revenue per user. It's really a solid number. Investors have been increasingly concerned that Roku could be overwhelmed by Apple or Amazon in the streaming TV ad space. Cheddar reported in April that Amazon plans to boost its advertising on TV products, seeking millions of dollars from advertisers to help Fire TV better compete with Roku and Pluto TV. So Amazon can throw millions of dollars. And that's kind of what you fear with the big boys, is that they can buy their way into a market. So that's a, that's interesting enough. Rosenblatt, an analyst, said Roku's latest quarter results prove that it has been able to withstand the pressures from competitors. I wonder what's next. They've got a Roku HD 4k streaming box they've got the sticks they've got the software being built into TVs I to me at some point maybe an acquisition by Amazon or by Apple maybe Microsoft not not immediately and again they're not saying anything about that I don't know anything that you don't but they're gonna be helped when Disney and NBC Universal launch streaming apps. So because when you sign up for Disney or NBC Universal you'll they Roku will probably get a cut of that action. I don't even want to talk Kraft Heinz. Kraft Heinz is a big story in the news, but who the heck owns Kraft Heinz other than Warren Buffett? So they're down four bucks on a thirty dollars stock. So that's pretty significant day. This is a company my mom and dad, or my dad, is probably the best way of saying that. So you kind of get the point. This is dad stock. You know, kind of like dad jeans. <laughs> this is something that needs to be retired and put away. I, I'm just not that much of a player. As far as uh, stretching my investment dollars to go as far as a Kraft Heinz, so I can find other things that I'm looking at. Hey, Chipotle's testing a new queso. woo Popeye's is launching his first chicken sandwich nationwide to compete with Chick-fil-A. Isn't it interesting? People love Chick-fil-A. I don't get it. I don't get the religion of science, of of junk food. Fast food. Uh, Anyhow, anyway, I'm Rob Black, talking all things financial, money, investing, and more. Don't go anywhere. Stay with me. Take a break. Be right back. Don't forget, there's another hour of today's show to listen to. Find it now at kdow.biz or on the KDOW radio app. What you say? Something I could tell you on retirement is we're all in a rush to get things done faster and faster. And that's positive and ultimately negative. We want to graduate from jobs faster. We want to get a job faster. We want to get rich faster. We want to retire faster. I kind of had that a little bit when I was 18. I was like, I don't want to work till the day I die. By the time I'm 35 years old, I want $1 million, so I can do whatever I want. And My goal was somehow, this is where my head is just really messed up, and maybe I'm good for investing because of it. Maybe I'm bad for investing because of it. One of the things that I wanted to do was be 35 years old and have the ability to go, screw you, I don't have to work with you anymore. A million dollars in my head when I was 18 was going to be enough to basically find the woman of my dreams, find a beach of my dreams, go to the store, buy some apples, oranges, and some waters, maybe some beers, and sell them on the beach to people. Whatever you have to make a day to pay for rent and food would have been more than enough. But that was my retirement (laughs) goal, kind of shows you I was a little naive when I was 18, huh? So I wanted to be able to retire by 35. I was in a rush. By the time I got to 35, I had more than a million dollars and I'm in no rush to retire. I had amassed a net wealth of probably three to four million dollars by 35. Net wealth is kind of one of those funky things to figure out where do you include cars? Do you include retirement savings? Uh, and it, it, a lot of people see it differently than others. Do you include the value of your company? Do you? Where what do you? Where do you draw the line? So I had enough, but I, I kind of wanted more, or I wanted to live in an area that's more expensive than what I thought I was going to live in when I was eighteen. Remember, when I was eighteen, I don't think I was going to live in a tent at age thirty-five, but I certainly wasn't expecting a house worth two million dollars. It's overpriced to the tune of a million and a half dollars, or maybe a million to a million and a half overpriced trust me, I'm not living like a king. The freedom to wake up whenever I wanted was a driving issue for me for retirement. I found that to be priceless. Now, you know, I would no longer have to deal with commutes to work, long work weeks, jerks. I would be able to meet people and like people that like my hobbies and wanted to spend time with me and my my family. So when you decide you want to retire, Try to wait a year on that decision and decide if that's still what you want to do. It's like when I tell people when you want to try to day trade stocks, the best thing you can do is make a deal with Uncle Rob. Me, if you think you can trade a stock, email me when you want to buy a stock and then email me when you want to sell a stock and how much money. I'll be interested to see if you can pull it off. Now again, you can't email me ten stocks and choose the one that was the winner. So can you? And that's what I I say. That's a test you should do with your loved one. If you can't go to your spouse and say I messed up, I bought a horrible stock, you better be able to go to them and say, let's trade on paper first. I hate Kevin O'Leary. I used to say that I hate Jessica, not Simpson. Oh God, Sarah Jessica Parker, because she got women to like four hundred dollar expensive shoes. But I hate Kevin O'Leary. Every time I see him, I just want to punch him. He looks like a clown to me, and I just I want to get a boxing glove and. Boink him. Story on CNBC this this today that he says he spends 1000 to $5,000 a week on food. Uh, if that's not sending the wrong message, I don't know what is. Now, he was trying to say, if you're just starting your career, look at your paycheck and do not spend more than 20% of your after-tax paycheck on dining out. I get it. He's trying to tell people, watch your expenses. It's kind of a modern day, you know, my generation loved Starbucks. We were, you know, Starbucks was kind of invented in our lifetime. The current generation may like Grubhub. They may like going out to dinner. They, they like being social. They're living in smaller homes. They don't really want to entertain in their home. They're living in smaller homes that have smaller kitchens, so they don't really have the space to do a lot of cooking. I once knew a millennial that I went into her, her kitchen, and I was like, where's your food? She had nothing. It was all fresh fruit. And alcohol in the fridge, that was it. She doesn't like food in a box. So when I see Kevin Leary say, "I spent a thousand to five thousand a week on, five thousand dollars a week on food, thousand dollars a day, I'm like, "I want to exactly be bragging about that." I don't know. that's just me. So retiring early is a big idea, and you have to have income to last for the rest of your life. If I retired at 35, I'm not saying I would have run out. But my goals at 18 to have a million dollars didn't really factor in how expensive a spouse can be, how expensive healthcare can be, how expensive a kid can be. I didn't really start thinking about how expensive cars were going to become. At 18, I was pretty naive. I could have done it, but I would have been back in the workforce, and that ain't pretty. That's why you always want to give yourself a year to two years to really thinking about your retirement date. And then while you're approaching it, you got to start practicing retirement. Um, kids are an extreme financial burden, so you have to have extra money that's worthy of noting. And there's gonna be points where you're like, I want to send my, I want to send my kid to soccer camp. And soccer camps, you know, basically anywhere you send your kid, it's gonna be 15 to $20 an hour for whatever activity they're involved in, minimum. So I think you want to invest more aggressively when you're younger than when you're older. That's one of the problems of listening to CFP Chad Burton and myself. I'm more of a wealth accumulator. He's more of a wealth preserver. He can be a wealth accumulator, too. I'm just trying to put us in boxes, if you know what I'm saying. I'm Rob Black, talking to all things financial, money, investing, and more. You can find me online at Rob Black Show, Twitter Rob Black Show, YouTube Rob Black Show.